الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعض فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل هو الله أحد سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Last week we uh, discussed the underlying basic principles regarding bay'ah. And uh, just as a uh, brief recap, we mentioned that bay'ah is an Arabic term which means to make a pledge. And historically, there are different types of bay'ah in Islam. And in particular, we mentioned the special type of bay'ah, which is called bay'ah of tawbah. And in bay'ah of tawbah, a person makes a pledge to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, seeking forgiveness for the mistakes that they've made in the past, and in particular, pledging to avoid mistakes in the future. I also mentioned that the concept of bay'ah is such that this pledge is made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that the example of this bay'ah is actually found in the Qur'an when a group of believing women came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to pledge that they would avoid certain acts. And Rasulullah sallallahu took their bayah. Uh, in the Qur'an it's mentioned, mentioned when the believing women come to you. Come to Rasulullah sallallahu And then a series of acts that they, they believe. Why did they come to make bayah? To avoid what? A series of acts. And a series of acts is listed there. But what we see here, إِذَا جَاءَكَ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ When the believing women come. So these were believing women who came to make a pledge to Rasulullah that they would avoid future acts that were against deen. Very, very basic acts, but things that were clearly sin and things that should be avoided. So we spoke about that last week, and uh, we we spent some some time on that. But um, one point that I also made towards the end of the discussion last week, then I also highlighted here, is that this bayah, in essence, is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In particular, again, in the Qur'an, on another occasion, when sahaba were making bayah to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that bayah, and says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُبَايِعُونَكَ إِنَّمَا يُبَايِعُونَ اللَّهِ 
Verily, those people who were making bail with you, referring to Rasulullah, verily they were making bail to Allah. So again, highlighting that our pledge, in the, in, in the end, we make a pledge to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to avoid sin. Now, given the, this background which I've given you, the mashayikh of the uh, Islamic branch of uh, science called the sawwuf or spiritual development, they use this bayah as a means of taking a commitment from an individual to rectify their lives. So what is the goal of uh, the Islamic science of tasawwuf? The goal of the Islamic science of tasawwuf is that a person achieve their potential in developing a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the goal of tasawwuf. That a person should, should at, at their potential... At what they're able, at, at the level of what they're able to do, at their own level of what they're able, should attain a connection with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And we know, I mean, very simply, you can have a lengthy, lengthy discussion on what it takes to attain a, a connection with Allah. But really, it really boils down to just a few simple things. Number one, first and foremost, is a person has to avoid sin. Number two, a person has to do as much good as possible. If an individual avoids sin and does as much good as possible, these are the two things that lead them to Allah. The details, you know, there's more, de- obviously there's more details in that. What are sins and what are what is good and how can you best avoid uh, sins and how can you maximize on what is good? Those are uh, lengthy, lengthy discussions. But the premise is very simple. The premise is, is that we have to avoid as much sin as we can and we have to do as much good as we can. And that then leads us on a path towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the mashayikh of the sawwuf, they use this bayah as a means of taking a commitment from an individual who wants to go above and beyond. And at the time of this uh, commitment, there's a few intentions that, a person, that they ask the uh, seeker to make. So the seeker, the one who's making the bayah. The first intention in the bayah is that the individual is seeking to fulfill the sunnah of the, of the pious predecessors that came before, in particular the Sahaba. Because we know that the, even the believing women and the Sahaba in general, but the believing women in this particular instance that I gave earlier, they made bayah on Rasul, to Rasulullah wasallam or to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Rasulullah sallallahu in order to make an effort to avoid the avoid sins. And so while it's we all know that it's much easier to say than do, meaning everybody would like to avoid sins, but the reality is is that the world around us is a difficult place and we find we are also weak and we end up uh, finding ourselves in difficult situations and we make mistakes. And so to best avoid those mistakes we need to avail ourselves of the barakah of the sunnah. Because the barakah of the sunnah allows us to amplify our strengths and protects us from our weaknesses. The barakah of the sunnah allows us to amplify our strengths and to protect us from our own weaknesses. So the first intention in the bayah is that the person is making an intention to act according to the sunnah of Rasulullah 
in order to be able to, again, amplify their strengths and protect themselves against their own weaknesses. So this is the first intention. The second intention that a person makes is that in order to achieve the goals of the bayah, that I am, t- I am taking a coach to assist me in achieving those goals. In order to achieve the goals of the bayah, I am taking a coach to assist me in that goal. And that's why the mashayikh, they use this bayah because it allows the person to be able to make a commitment It creates a two-way street. It makes a commitment between teacher and student that the student will make the effort to, um, to, do, to, to, to do those things that are necessary to achieve their goal. And the teacher will make the effort to guide the student along the path of achieving their goal. All of that was background, actually. To that. Now I want to talk about what I wanted to talk about last week, but now I was introducing it last week. Now the next point. Once the bayah occurs, then nothing happens magically. And I want, this is the point. When the bayah occurs, nothing happens magically. Just because an individual makes bayah doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything is done. That's the preparatory step. You still have to put it on the, you put it in the oven. You know, you have to put the roast in the oven. It's only going to get done until it cooks a little bit. That's an initial step. It's a preparatory step. It is the beginning of the journey. It is the beginning of a very long journey. It is the first step um, among thousand, thousands of steps. And what is, what is important to recognize is that there is no magic wand. It's not that we can just make a tiny effort and all of a sudden everything just changes. Yes, there is baraka associated with the bayah. And yes, Even at the mere effort of a bayah, a person can take a tremendous step forward and benefit tremendously and make tremendous changes in their life. I've seen that. However, what, in, what, what is still required and necessary is that a person must be consistent and continually make an effort because it is not about one moment. It is about a 70-year, 80-year, 90-year life. And... It's not about what happens today. It's about what happens on the day that we die and whether we die in a state where our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. So we have to recognize that once the bayah occurs, that the next step is that a person needs to be consistent in the tasks that are related to the bayah. You want a simple example? I'll give you a simple example. You know, if somebody comes to the conclusion that they want to go to college... And then they make the effort to apply to a college. And then they finally figured out, figure out that they're going to attend this one college. You can't just matriculate in the college and say, Alhamdulillah, I went to college. You don't go to class. You don't do the homework. You don't put in the time. You don't buy the textbook. You don't show up when the lecture is being given. And then all of a sudden you say, Alhamdulillah, I'm in college. It's not going to take you very far. Yes, it's a great thing. You figured out that in order to get, advance your education, you need to go to college, and you at least have that sense that this is a place where you can develop yourself and that this is a place and way by which you can become a better person. But it doesn't just uh, it, it doesn't end with that. It begins with that. 
That's the first step. It's not the last step. And there's many, many, many steps over the length of a college education that allow a person to maximize on the opportunity. Like anything in life, it's an opportunity. It has a window. It has a way by which we maximize on it. So we don't see the Be'a as a last step. We see the Be'a as a first step. Unfortunately, in this day and age, many people see it as a last step. They spend years and years and years and years contemplating whether they do it. And once they do it, then they feel comfortable that now I've done it, so I'm done. But actually, it's the first step, not the last step. Hence, because it's the first step and because we recognize that there's many, many steps beyond that, the Mashaikh will generally assign a very simple routine for the students to do in order to energize them towards their goal. The Mashaikh will assign a very simple routine for the students to perform in order to energize them towards their goal. And this routine is really basic. When I say simple, I mean really simple. It essentially is those basic things that all of us should be doing anyway, except in an organized way. For example, first and foremost, the Mashaikh will assign a regimen of Qur'an, a regimen of recitation of Qur'an. In particular... Generally speaking, we say that after an individual makes bea, it's essential for that individual to spend 20 minutes every day reciting the Qur'an in the Arabic language. 20 minutes every day reciting the Qur'an in the Arabic language. Now, 20 minutes every day reciting the Qur'an, I think there would be every Muslim on the planet would say to you, I should recite Qur'an every day, I should recite it in the Arabic language. No one would have any debate or issue with that. But what we don't recognize is that, that, that is, I mean, but what people unfortunately, after, even after, even though they recognize the necessity and importance of the Qur'an, the reality of implementing that becomes a little more difficult. But it has to be done consistently. The Qur'an is the is the miracle of our deen. The Qur'an is the miracle of our deen. It is the one thing that can actually change us. It is the one thing that is the most likely to change us. It is the word of Allah. And it is the reality of the universe. And every letter, not every word, every letter has a spiritual effect that energizes and pushes an individual forward. So we have to regularly do that, Regu- regularly um, re-reciting Qur'an. And, and the example that I've given in the past, which I think is the best example I can give in, on, any, on any occasion, is that Qur'an is like food. Qur'an is like food. If a person comes to you and says, I'm weak, I'm starving, I'm sick, I'm dying, I have no energy, etc., etc., and then you start taking their history, and they say, I haven't eaten in days, then I said, the diagnosis is very simple. You're starving. You need food. You need nutrients. Your body will not function properly. You will not grow. You will not be energized. You will not um, be functioning normally, physiologically, until you have food. The Qur'an is the same way. The Qur'an is the spiritual food of every believer. It uplifts a believer. It enlightens a believer. It guides a believer. It consoles a believer. It advances a believer. It protects a believer. It makes things clear for a believer. 
There's so many barakat that are associated with the Qur'an that I could not even do justice in a, in a, in a lecture, in a, let alone in a lifetime. This is something that every single one of us, if we're serious about our uh, progression and we're serious, serious about our achieving the goals of the bayah, this is something that every one of us has to be doing. And by the way, every Muslim has to do it. I'm just addressing, I'm, you know, I'm just addressing you in the context of the bayah. But this is something that every Muslim should be doing. So the first and foremost responsibility upon every person who has made bayah is that recitation of Qur'an should occur daily. Recitation of Qur'an should occur daily. The same way we eat meals every day, we drink water every day, we breathe air every day. It's like that. It's that essential. It is, it is a need. Like we have food, clothing, and shelter. You know, food, clothing, and shelter is a, our physical needs. The Qur'an is an absolute spiritual need. Without it, a person cannot sustain themselves. There is no other option around it. So it needs to be made very clear to all of us that there needs to be a regular, concerted effort, and it needs to be dedicated every day. So this is the first assignment that we give to the believer, to the one who's trying to achieve the goal of the tawbah, of the tawbah number one. Number two, we say that every morning and every evening a person should sit and make istighfar. Every morning and every evening a person should make, sit and make istighfar. What is istighfar? Istighfar basically means, has a few components to it. The first, it requires that we reflect upon what we do every day. The first, it requires that we reflect upon what we do every day. So I should be actively sitting and thinking, how did I spend my time in the last 12 hours? Let's just say the last 12 hours as an example, arbitrary example. How did I spend my time in the last 12 hours? What good did I do? What evil did arose from me? How could I avoid the things that I'm weak at? And I should be actively seeking forgiveness from my Lord for the mistakes that I've made, whether they harm me or they harm those around me. Every day, we have a book of deeds. We are writing a book of deeds. And every day, we add a page. And on the day of judgment, that book of deeds will be given to us in our right hand or our left hand. Now, alhamdulillah, it's a blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the book of deeds is editable. You know, there's two types of uh, essays that people write. Sometimes people write an essay and they say, okay, on Tuesday, so today is what, Sunday, on Tuesday I need a one-page essay on um, the history of World, World War I. So what does that mean? I can spend time researching, I can spend time writing, I can rewrite, I can edit, I can show it to a friend, I can think twice about what I said, I can produce a polished product and turn that polished product in. And then sometimes you take a you take an exam and they say to you, you have 20 minutes to write this essay, turn it in when you're done. When you have 20 minutes to write an essay, there's a million mistakes. You don't have time to think completely. You, whatever you write is permanent. You write it. You don't have time to reread it and read it again and reread it and read it again. You don't have time to put it away and look at it three days later. You don't have time to have a friend edit it. So obviously the essay that has to be written and that has time and space before it has to be turned in is much easier to write and should be much more clean than the one that just written and thrown in, you know, thrown in the bin. So 
our book of deeds is 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 not due. It's, it doesn't come due until the day that we die. And up until the day that we die, we have the ability to edit every single page of that book. And the beauty is that, you know, you don't even have to necessarily edit every single page. We actually have the ability to edit chapters and sometimes years and sometimes decades in a stroke, in just a one stroke. I mean, if a person sincerely looks back at 10 years of their life and just says, I made many mistakes. I honestly, sincerely seek forgiveness for them. I fear my Lord. The whole thing just gets edited. You don't even have to go through. It's just a, it automatically the good of it, the bad of it gets removed and the good stays. That's the, that, that's the edit. You know, normally if you delete a chapter, you delete the whole chapter. You have to start over. Here, when you delete a chapter, you delete just the bad mistakes of the chapter. All the mistakes get circled and those just get erased and everything good stays. So there's no editor like that in life, in, re, in, in, in the life of this world. So we have a responsibility and an opportunity every single day to make istighfar for our deeds and our actions, which basically means that we have to actively sit down and reflect upon the deeds that we perform and the actions that have arisen from us, and we have to make istighfar for the mistakes that we've made. So this is the second thing we assign the believer who is seeking to achieve that pinnacle in their deen. Number one, recitation of Qur'an. Number two, actively making istighfar twice a day. A hundred times in the morning and a hundred times in the evening. And where is this generated from? Is this some random notion that's been generated? No. This was actually the habit of Rasulullah Rasulullah mentions that he makes istighfar regularly. So we subsequently recognize that if the perfect, uh, most perfect of creation is making istighfar regularly, then who are we to not have to make istighfar? It's a lesson to us in, a, in, in essence, in the end. So we should be actively making istighfar. This is number two. Number three is making salawat on Rasulullah Sending salawat on Rasulullah Okay, this is the third thing we assign. So why do we assign this? We assign this first and foremost because the Qur'an commands it. The Qur'an commands it. If you go through the Qur'an, various acts of worship are listed. If you go through the Qur'an, various acts of worship are listed and commanded. In only one act of worship does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that He Himself does it, and that gives his, gives his own example of doing it, and then subsequently assigns it to the believer. There's only one act of worship like that. And that refers to, that in particular is salawat on Rasulullah Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending blessings upon Rasulullah constantly in his own way, and we have been assigned as well to uh, send blessings upon Rasulullah Verily, Allah and His angels send salawat upon the Prophet Taslima. So, O you who believe, send salutations upon Him. So, what more evidence does a person need? Aside from that, when a person makes salawat on Rasulullah there are multiple other benefits that arise. The first is, 
When we send salawat on Rasulullah ten blessings are sent back upon us. So what does this do? This energizes the believer to achieve their goal. Number two, when a person sends salawat on Rasulullah they exhibit their gratitude towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having been given a guide. And anytime we exhibit our gratitude towards Allah subhanahu wa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He subsequently grants us more. So, if I exhibit my gratitude for having a guide, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will subsequently attach me further to that guidance. So, that's the second benefit. A deep attachment to that guidance that arose from that perfect guide. The third benefit. The third benefit is that when a person makes salawat on Rasulullah then their heart becomes attached to Rasulullah And Rasulullah is the guiding light that leads us to our goal. Rasulullah is the guiding light that leads us to our goal. And so, if we become attached to Rasulullah we subsequently become more involved with the sunnah, we become more attached to the sunnah, and the sunnah is the way by which a person achieves this goal. So, that's the additional benefit among many. I've just listed a few. So, number one, Active engagement with the Qur'an. Number two, active istighfar twice a day. Number three, actively attaching ourselves to Rasulullah by making salawat on Rasulullah Number four, the fourth thing we advise that people should spend time remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their heart. In particular, we call that muraqaba. A few minutes every day, a person should spend some time remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their heart. And the purpose of this is to ignite a passion in the heart of the individual to become attached to deen. It ignites a, it's a type of dhikr that ignites a passion in the heart of an individual to become attached to deen. We'll talk in more detail about that another time. And the fifth is that we advise an individual to try to make an effort to be in a constant state of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make an active effort to constantly remind ourselves of our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number six, to maintain ourselves in the gathering of those who are striving on this path. In particular, by staying connected with, the, with our teachers. That's it. There's nothing magical except the fact that all of it put together is magical. Meaning, it's, it, it, it is its own unique prescription, but there's nothing that's difficult to comprehend. It's its own unique prescription, but there's nothing that's difficult to comprehend. Now, what happens basically? These are very, very simple things that everybody knows that they should do. If I said to you, spend time reciting Qur'an, spend time making istighfar, spend time making salawat, spend time in the company of the righteous, spend time in the company of a teacher, all these things are obvious to people. They're all things that people would recognize immediately as good. But when a person makes bayah and then is assigned these things in an, in a, in an orderly manner, the result is that the barakah of the bayah in the context of the organization of all of these deeds, results in a progress that people have not experienced previously. 
the example that I would give is that, you know, if you wanted to get a college education, if you wanted to get a college education, you can get a college education without going to college. You can get a college level education without going to college. I could say to you that in college we teach uh, calculus, chemistry, organic chemistry, social science, history of uh, political history, economics, okay? So we have a series of things that we teach within the environment of college. I could easily just give you recordings of, you know, this class and this class and this class and this class, and you might be able to uh, gather all of that knowledge. But the reality is that most people would not be able to do it. Yes, there are some people that could do it, but the vast majority of people would not be able to do it. So what would allow people to be able to achieve that? When a person goes to a college, matriculates at the college, meets an advisor, actively registers for courses in a sequence, sits with other individuals who are on the same path, sits with um, their uh, teachers and learns directly from the teachers and has a beginning point and eventually has a clear end point, that's the way by which a college-level education is attained. And 99% of the people on the planet who achieve a college-level education achieve it by going to college. Now, I mean, historically, you'll read books that people were in prison and they educated themselves and they became even more educated than the college-bound individual. That, That exists. I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is that often a person is able to achieve the goals that they are trying to achieve when there is a little bit of organization attached to how to achieve that goal. That is the, the essence of the soul. That is the essence of the soul. That an individual matriculates into a system which allows them to achieve the goal of avoiding sin and attaining proximity to their Lord. But what does it require? Again, it requires a little bit of consistent effort. It requires a concerted drive. It requires a person to be, to be there, to be plugged in and to be there. And to not be random, but to be dedicated and to be focused. So that was a, that was the purpose of, of all this background, which is that anything that we ever want to achieve requires organization and consistency. Anything that we want to achieve requires organization and consistency. And so if we want to achieve the goals of the Bea, then we should try to do so in an organized way and we should be consistent if we're fortunate enough to find an organized path. Does that mean that that's the only way? No, it is not the only way. Nor am I, nor do I have any right to say that's the only way. There may be other ways. Other people may find other ways to achieve this goal and those are equally valid. I'm just sharing my perspective. There are other ways in which a person can achieve these same principles in another way. But the, whatever it is, it still requires a concerted effort, and it still requires a degree of commitment. There's, there, I have not found a way that does not require effort and does not require commitment. So uh, that still remains a constant, despite the fact that there may be some variables in this equation. That's the summary of what I wanted to say, which is that if a person has made this intention to travel on this path and has made a bea hoping that they are going to achieve certain goals, then it requires a bit of effort on our part. And we should be consistent in that effort. We should block time in our schedules in order to be able to recite Quran, to do salawat, to make istighfar, to make uh, to spend some time remembering Allah in our hearts, and to spend some time attending the gatherings in which we can be further energized to achieve our goals. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us consistent and may Allah grant us the tawfiq to be able to attain uh, all of our dreams uh, and to be able to attain the pinnacle of the Bayah of Tawbah. Wa akhirat da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.